Welcome to episode 40 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversations with Sycharmor trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players or by going to sycharmor.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by the generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. This episode is brought to you by PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military cultural content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. You can find more about PsychArmor at psycharmor.org. On today's episode, we'll be featuring a conversation with Jonathan Crandall, a veteran outreach coordinator at the New York Council on Problem Gambling. Jonathan served eight years in the United States Marine Corps and was a team leader for the Scout Sniper Platoon of 3rd Battalion, 6 Marines. Upon completion of his military obligation, Jonathan continued service in Iraq as a private military contractor for the U.S. State Department and as a correctional officer before deciding that his life direction was not of the standard he wanted to uphold. He obtained a bachelor's degree in social work, before focusing his attention on supporting his fellow veterans struggling with addiction. You can find out more about Jonathan by checking out his bio on our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with him and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. So you've had an interesting journey from your military career in the Marine Corps to a correctional officer and transitioning into social services and now finding yourself doing veteran outreach for the New York Council on Problem Gaming. How do you go from being a scout sniper to addressing gambling addictions in the military-affiliated population? Dwayne, I'll tell you, it was a, it's been a long, messy journey. It's been a weird journey, to be honest with you. So I wanted to be a Marine my entire life. I thought that I was going to do 20 years when I went in. I ended up only doing eight. And I'm sure you can relate with a lot of the listeners. Leaving the, the military, the transition is difficult and just missing virtually everything about it, from the camaraderie to the, the field ops to, to deploying. So I ended up being a contractor for a company called uh, Triple Canopy and protective services for the State Department. And I got a taste of uh, a little bit of taste of the Marine Corps deploying in Iraq for a few years. While I was there, I started to recognize that I was losing time with my daughter. So I started to, to plan my exit. And this is something that I, this is the first time I've shared this, to be honest with you, other than a few close friends. I, I tell people that I left because I wanted to come home and be with my daughter. And that's a half truth. I left because I was uh, sat home and it was due to a drinking incident that happened. It was after hours. We were in Baghdad and, and another employee and myself, we had an alcohol related incident. I'll leave it at that. And I got sat home and that was a struggle. And I'm building up to to basically my addiction here. I was contracting. I naturally, as somebody that was in the infantry, there's not much you can do, not much that I felt I could do. The only thing I felt I could do was law enforcement, corrections, court officer. And those are the three tests that I've taken. And the first officer I had was with a correction department locally. It was a paramilitary organization. So I jumped on it. I had a lot of underlying issues at the time that I wasn't aware of. One of it drinking. And ultimately PTSD, which I did not recognize at the time. I was the individual that could tell you um, exactly what you needed to do, how I could help and how I could be there and support you. But I didn't want to hear any of it for myself until, frankly, it was really, I had, I got to a point where, where I needed to recognize it. I ended up leaving the, the correctional facility and going to a long-term treatment. And while I was working in a jail, it just was not the right atmosphere for me at the time with the issues that I that were unaddressed and I really wasn't aware of at the time. I was in denial. So I, I go to long-term treatment. I 
gained sobriety for six months. I have a plan of I'm going to remove myself from the correctional field. I'm going to go back to school. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do in school. I thought maybe political science. So that was my plan. And the day I discharged, I drank again. Never saw it coming. I had sworn to myself that I, would, I was done drinking, but just I had no exit plan, to be honest with you. I had a plan of going to school and everything would fall into place. I left the treatment facility and I moved into a hotel. And that's where I stayed uh, until I ran out of money. And then I was living on people's couches. And I got to a point where drinking was not enough. It wouldn't cover the pain enough. So I started using prescription pills. And that got to a point to where essentially I could not find them. And ultimately it turned to heroin. And in a matter of six months, I lost it all. I was homeless. I say I'm homeless. I had, gratefully, I had friends and family that I could stay on their couches. But I, I lost virtually everything. And I had a turning point. And I turned to the VA. The one thing that, that I was... Um, Glad was while I was in this long-term treatment program. It's a, it's a program up in Saranac Lake in New York. Uh, it's for veterans only. I was connected and enrolled in, in VA benefits, and I started receiving compensation and pension and, and healthcare benefits. And thank God, because I turned to the VA, which frankly, I had fought tooth and nail before. I didn't want to be associated with that. I didn't want to be associated with having any type of weakness, but I got connected to the VA. And since that time, and it turns out it ended up being the Marine Corps birthday when I gained my sobriety. I didn't plan it that way, but I'm coming up on six years here on uh, November 10th. So naturally, in recovery, law enforcement is not for me. What am I to do? I know I had several individuals that were essential in my recovery. I wanted to give it back. That is part of recovery is, is returning service and helping others. So I went to school to be a drug and alcohol counselor. Through there, I, I had an internship that I had to complete, and I interned for an agency where they offered me a part-time position after my internship and then a full-time position as a family support navigator. And there, I use that platform as a family support navigator, which in turn is essentially just helps families understand addiction. It helps families deal with having a loved one that is suffering from addiction. It helps them navigate the treatment world. I use that platform to help families of veterans because one thing I noticed is there's a lot of help for veterans. There's not much help for families. And I know many families want to help. They just don't know how to, they don't understand. So I wanted to walk that journey with them. And in that path, I decided that I really needed to go to school for social work. So I got my my bachelor's degree in social work. And there was a time when I was offered a position at the New York Council on Problem Gambling. It was a better fit for me, more pay. So I, I took the opportunity and I worked there as a program manager for about two years. And then our executive director approached me and said, John, what do you think about targeting the veteran population for for, for six months and see how it goes. And I said, I'd love to. And that was back in May. And from that point, from May until now, we've started to build coalitions to raise awareness on problem gambling and veteran suicide. We're talking to legislators to build more awareness on problem gambling. I'm speaking to other veterans that are in recovery from problem gambling and learning so much about this issue that's quite honestly not recognized enough. Along with the civilian world, people view gambling as entertainment, which it is for most, but for some, it becomes a problem. And that's where we're, where we fill the gap in New York Council on Problem Gambling. We have seven problem gambling resource centers across New York State. We have a clinical network that is staffed with licensed clinical social workers, licensed mental health counselors, and licensed marriage and family therapists that all have their own private practice in the communities that we serve. And then when individuals call us for help, we connect them with those clinicians to receive one-on-one treatment. We can also send them to Gamblers Anonymous meetings Whatever they want for their recovery, we're there to provide it for them. And that's the that's my role now is with veterans, is locating the treatment platforms that are available for veterans, building more awareness on problem gambling amongst veterans. Many people don't know that veterans are at twice the risk 
for a problem mm-hmm. gambling than civilian counterparts. Marine Corps and Navy veterans statistically have a higher rate of problem gambling than other veterans. To me, that's concerning because the Marine Corps is the second smallest branch in the military, maybe the third now with, with the Space Force. Other than the Coast Guard, the Marine Corps is the smallest branch in the military, and they have the highest numbers for veterans that are struggling with, with problem gambling. Now, factor that into suicide. Veterans are already at a higher rate for suicide. Gambling disorder has the highest rate of suicide of all of the addictions. So you put the two together, and that's that's a recipe for disaster. And with legalized sports betting coming to New York and other states, they now have mobile platforms for lottery. There's just greater accessibility for gambling. There's going to be a time where an individual will be able to sit in the comfort of their home with their cell phone, watching a football game, and being able to bet on what the play is going to be. It's called in-play betting. So with greater accessibility, with veterans already at a higher risk, I think it's important to raise more awareness, to advocate for more treatment and services, and get the veterans the help that they need. You know, I, I think that's very admirable. And even more admirable is the story of your journey and your journey towards sobriety. You know this as well as I do. That could have been a story coming out of a Vietnam. I don't know what to do after my military career. So I'm just going to, my old man was a St. Louis city cop in the seventies. I don't know where Vietnam ended and the streets began. So this idea of going into law enforcement, I'm going to go into something, but I'm still struggling with all of this stuff. But then for in, in going even farther down in, in the honesty that you have related to the unstable housing and, and heroin addiction and things like that. But then the best preacher is a former sinner, right? You've been there and you've been to the place where it got you to the lowest depths. And now you're coming out the other side. And that gives you a measure of legitimacy with other veterans who not only have heard those stories, many of them have lived those stories. Absolutely. Yeah. The peer-to-peer connection, you have the PFC Dwyer program in New York. The VAs are are very strong um, supporters of of the peer-to-peer work basis, which one, it's implemental. The great thing with yourself is you're a clinician, but you're also a peer too. I think for clinicians that weren't in the military, it's important to have those peers, those veterans there to help them understand military culture. That's a huge piece, especially in addiction and just for asking for help. The warrior ethos that's preached in the military, the mission first, leave no man behind. It's amazing how we have that ethos crammed down our throats, leave no man behind. But when it comes to ourselves. That's the the key is that you even said it earlier is that I'll help everybody out. I'll give everybody the advice. Mm -hmm. And so I will leave no man behind, but I don't ever expect anybody to come pick me up either. I will almost allow myself to be left behind. And I think, as you mentioned, as a clinical mental health counselor, this idea of gambling addiction as part of a larger addiction group, right? Again, clinically and neurologically, they all feed the same reward pathways. Starts out with alcohol, prescription, going to illicit drugs, but addiction isn't just about substance abuse. Gambling addiction can cause serious challenges with veterans in post-military life. As you'd mentioned, because it's a form of escape and, and hits those pleasure centers the same way that maybe alcohol or other drugs do. Absolutely. And they have research out there that shows the brain spikes, the brain waves. They spike just as higher, if not more, than a, a user of cocaine. And the thing with gambling is it's it's not the winning that provides the euphoria or the high. That just validates their thought process, that win. It's the anticipation of the win is where they're getting that euphoria. So the more they can bet, the more hits they're getting, essentially. And money is essentially the vessel for that high. You can't get away from money. 
with alcoholism, I can avoid the bars. I can choose not to go down the liquor aisle of the grocery store, but you always have money in your hand. No problem gambling. I'm glad you mentioned other addictions as well. It's important to recognize, and, and we speak on this when we're talking to our clinicians, is more times than not, a veteran that's struggling with problem gambling is struggling with something else, whether it be trauma-related condition, military sexual trauma, post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, or other addictions, alcohol, or other drugs, or depression or anxiety. So when it comes to screening, there has been some progress made in the military. I'm sure you know this. I didn't know this while I was in. I was stationed at Camp Lejeune, and I was really there because we were either training for deployment or deployed. Bases overseas have slot machines, and they generate yep. A lot of revenue for MWR, which is a great program, but a lot of veterans, especially the single ones that don't have much to do, are using that, as you said, as a form of recreation or a form of, form of coping from being isolated or coming back from a, a long deployment. So the screening tools that are there are questions such as, have you gambled in the last 12 months? Or have you ever had to lie about the amount that you lost gambling? So to define what gambling is, because everybody has a different perception of what gambling is. And quite frankly, I know on the treatment side, when you're going into, when you're being assessed, say for an alcohol use disorder, every question thereafter, I don't really want to answer yes to, because I, I feel that's just more work on my plate and just that's more of myself out there. So I feel it's important to, when you're asking the, the questions on gambling to provide a, a definition such as instead of using the word gambling, say, do you visit the casino or have you visited the casino in the last 12 months? Or have you ever found yourself where you've spent too much money that you anticipated on scratch offs? Or better yet, just during the conversation, during the therapy sessions, just paying attention to the red flags, paying attention to indicators that that may lead you to believe that the, the veteran may be struggling with gambling or just knowing that veterans that struggle with problem gambling also struggle with other issues such as you know addictions or, or mental health conditions. So a veteran may not have a, a gambling disorder while they're meeting with you, but they could be primed. So it's important just to educate them on that. Hey, just watch out. If you're going to the casino, make sure you bring a, a battle buddy. And that's where the responsible gambling pieces come in for that. But yeah, I just wanted to touch base on the fact that many veterans that are struggling with problem gambling also have other underlying conditions. So it's important to screen and just to l- listen for indicators that may lead you to believe that they may have a problem. And, and the gambling disorders, it's linear. It's on a spectrum. You have the person that doesn't gamble, the social recreational gamble to at-risk, the problem gambling, and then the gambling disorder is a diagnosis with DSM-5. And a lot of veterans walk on that at risk. They haven't yet crossed over the threshold of running into a problem, but they're at risk. And I attribute that to a lot of the trauma-related conditions. The fact that when we get out of the military, nothing is ever going to compare to it. We could be space commandos for NASA. We're still not going to be satisfied because we're fighting for that that next extreme rush. So gambling is, is a form of extreme sports like others, and that's where veterans are turning to to cope. And I appreciate that distinction in that alcohol is not the problem. Gambling is not the problem. They're not the the bad thing. You said that there are many people that that see gambling as recreation in the same way that, that they're social drinkers, right? It's that spectrum. But then you have those individuals, like I have been at some points in my career, as you struggle with alcohol, where one drink is not enough and two drinks are too many, that there is that problem gambling or that that sort of that that edge in which the gambling 
can get too much. I have control of it all the way up until the point that I don't have control of it. And like many other conditions, treatment is available for those experiencing problem gambling. One of the challenges you're talking about is this first identifying it. We have to acknowledge it ourselves or somebody has to bring it to our attention. But there are also options out there for veterans that are looking to address their gambling behavior if they recognize that, just like you said in Iraq, I'm losing time with my daughter. I need to do something. I'm spending too much money on scratch-offs. I need to do something. There's treatment out there. Absolutely. There's absolutely treatment. And that's one thing we're working on at the New York Council on Problem Gambling. A lot of the VAs in New York State, they do have programs available. They have outpatient groups. They do have clinicians that are trained in problem gambling. But again, it's not enough and it's not every VA has treatment options available. I've spoken to some individuals that have worked with veterans and they say something I've I've never seen. I've never been aware of it. Well, have you asked about it? And that's the one thing, just the, especially where I'm at in upstate New York, the belief of gambling, or I guess the viewpoint is that it's just entertainment until it affects somebody negatively. But getting back to the treatment side, you do, you have your Gamblers Anonymous programs for the mutual support. But again, if you're connected to the VA, they do have treatment options available. Now, the good thing with the VA is they have, it's a model after the whole health model where they're now involving community providers. So if a VA doesn't have somebody available to help you with your treatment for problem gambling, they can refer you to somebody out in your community, such as in your council on problem gambling. Again, we have clinicians that are trained specifically for individuals with problem gambling. Now, also the Cleveland VA has actually the oldest residential inpatient treatment facility for problem gambling, and that's for veterans. And on the West Coast, Las Vegas just recently opened up about a year or two ago again, a residential inpatient for problem gambling specifically. And that's one thing that I feel is important is to have, that's one thing we don't have in New York state is a residential program. And I feel it's important to be gambling specific because sometimes there's a hierarchy in the addiction realm where you could have an individual say that's struggling with alcohol, walk into a meeting that's talking about heroin. They may look at that guy as you haven't had it as bad as me. And I've seen it here in, in other mutual support groups where a problem gambler could walk in and they could kind of put at the bottom of that hierarchy or they could put themselves above it. It just depends on ego, personality. But I think it's important to, to focus specifically on problem gambling because there are some treatment modalities that work better for problem gambling versus others. And again, it, it's, it'd be nice to have something specifically for problem gambling. An individual that's struggling with just problem gambling or primarily problem gambling, it'd be nice to have them be seen for that specifically. A lot of the places that include problem gambling in amongst the other addictions, maybe it's an hour class a week. That's not enough. So again, advocating for more treatment, there is the Cleveland VA, the inpatient residential. How nice would it be to have one in every state? Or how nice would it be to have every VA in the country have trained clinicians available to help individuals with problem gambling? I see it happening in the future because it's going to be needed frankly, with greater accessibility. Each day there's new platforms coming out, new gaming ideas. Let's take the casino out of it and talk cryptocurrency or day trading. That's another area that individuals are getting in trouble. Video gaming, that's priming our youth for gambling. I talked to a gentleman at a recovery center that was homeless and his thing was video games. And it wasn't so much where the loss of money, it was the loss of time. He was calling out sick to work because he didn't want to leave the console. When he was at work, he was preoccupied with the thoughts of what was going on at the game. The way it is, when I grew up, I had Super Mario Brothers. You could play it. You beat the big 
drag in and you're done. Now the games are constantly evolving. They're constantly updating. So this individual referred to it as, as grinding, where he's just trying to grind to get to the next level. That's where individuals can play 20, 24 hours. So again, getting off tangent to reel back in with the treatment options available, they're limited. There are some available, but not enough. If an individual in New York State is looking for treatment, again, there's a New York Council on Problem Gambling. If there's a veteran outside of New York, the best place to look first is the council. For instance, Florida has a Florida Council on Problem Gambling. North Carolina does. If you don't have a council in your state, look at the National Council on Problem Gambling. They're actually, they used to be affiliated with the New York Council. They used to be two in the same back in the early 70s, and then they had split. And fun fact is one of our co-founders, Major Joseph Dunn, he's a veteran of the Korean War. He got a Silver Star, Bronze Star, and Purple Heart. And he was affiliated with the Gamblers Anonymous group in New York City. And there was a time when they decided they needed to have a voice for advocacy purposes. And being a group of anonymity, they couldn't do that. So they created the New York Council on Problem Gambling. And then also Dr. Robert Custer, he was the one that started the inpatient program in Cleveland VA. So there's strong veteran roots in our agency. No, I think that's uh, that's definitely on both sides, both encouraging and there's much more work that needs to be done. If people wanted to find out more about the work that you're doing, how could they connect with the New York Council on Problem Gambling or some of these other resources? Absolutely. The best way for the New York Council on Problem Gambling, go to the website, nyproblemgamblinghelp.org. Again, that is nyproblemgamblinghelp.org. There's a map of New York State, and they can click the area that they're in, and that will bring them to their nearest problem gambling resource center. And then from there, they can connect them with myself. The National Council on Problem Gambling just created a page with RG247. There's a website out that has veteran testimony of those that have struggled with problem gambling. It is operationresponsiblegambling.org. Again, operationresponsiblegambling.org. And that's something that the National Council on Problem Gambling is working with a couple of other agencies to put together. And we're looking for more veterans that are in recovery from problem gambling to tell their story. Again, we spoke on it earlier with the power of peers, the power of one telling their story so that individuals feel that they're not alone. Um, that there is hope. If I talked to you seven years ago, I totally different person. There is definitely hope available and help available. So those are probably your best resources available for somebody that's looking for, for help with, with problem gambling. That's great. I'm going to make sure that all of those links are available in the show notes. Uh, thanks for coming on the show today, Jonathan. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. The first thing that I'd like to highlight is both the uniqueness of Jonathan's transition out of the military and the commonality of it. Tolstoy wrote, happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. The same can be said for transition out of the military. Every difficult transition is difficult in its own way. Consider the common thing that you hear from service members like Jonathan. Serving in the infantry or as a scout sniper only leads to jobs like law enforcement or personal security. That's not the case, of course, as you can see that Jonathan eventually ended up in social services, but there is a danger in thinking that the only post-military path that we have is the one that we were on when we were in the military. I was in logistics for 22 years. 
Many of my peers are working in the same field, supervising warehouses or conducting supply chain management. There's nothing wrong with that or with the cook continuing in the culinary field or the finance clerk working in the financial industry. The problem arises when someone's not happy with what they did in the military, but chose the default option because it's what they know. When there is little satisfaction that comes with the post-military career, then other problems can be exacerbated. On top of that, add the problematic substance use that Jonathan was engaging in, and the problems in post-military life are exacerbated even more. Chronic pain, prescription painkillers, homelessness, Jonathan said it clearly. He lost it all. And that's the common part of it because it happens all too often. And it happens for generations of service members when they leave the military. At the same time, however, it was very real and unique to Jonathan's experience. And I appreciate his courage in both sharing his own journey as well as continuing to work to make a difference in the lives of his fellow veterans when it comes to addiction and problem gambling. That's the other aspect that I'd like to briefly comment on. The importance of peer support and mental health and addiction treatment. We talk a lot about how important it is for mental health and addiction professionals to have an understanding of military culture. The easiest way to do that is for the professional to have lived experience, but there are simply not enough veterans in the mental health field. Going back to my first point, there aren't that many mental health professionals in the military to continue on that path afterwards, and not many more choose this field in post-military life. Yes, the professional can and should study military culture and come to learn it to a high degree, but another way is to collaborate with a peer support specialist that has the same type of experiences as those that they're trying to help. Jonathan mentioned this in our conversation, that the Department of Veterans Affairs has been using peer support specialists for years. Peers working in the homelessness programs for the VA were previously homeless. Peers working in the substance abuse programs are in recovery themselves. Not only does a peer add a voice of legitimacy with someone who is struggling with whatever's going on, they add a voice of hope that whatever the veteran is dealing with is able to be overcome. There's a measure of trust that a peer has, someone who has been there and done that. Lived experience is a significant trust factor for veterans. In our time in the military, we valued those who had already done the things that we're being told to do. The military is a peer-led organization at its very basic, and the words that come out of another veteran's mouth hold significant weight. Mentorship is another important aspect of the military. I can point back to every rank and stage of my career and point to a single person, more than any other, that helped make me a better soldier, NCO, squad leader, platoon sergeant, first sergeant, so on. And we have a desire to turn around and provide that mentorship to others. In many ways, providing peer support for other veterans in recovery is a protective factor for the peers themselves. So it's likely for Jonathan that his service to his fellow veterans are keeping him grounded and fulfilled and giving him the best possible post-military life for he and his family. Make sure to check out more about Jonathan and the work that he's doing through the links in our show notes. For this week's Psych Armor Resource of the Week, I'd like to share the Psych Armor course Supporting a Veteran in Crisis. This course is designed for individuals and organizations to educate themselves on the differences between veterans and civilians and ways to support veterans when they may be struggling. Topics include how to recognize the warning signs that a veteran may be headed for a crisis, how to approach a veteran in crisis, and what steps to take to help a veteran during an acute crisis situation. You can check out that resource through a link in our show notes. So thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find at psychomer.org forward slash BTM40, as well as on the Psychomer website. You will find the link to everything we talked about in today's show, as well as hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. Thank you for joining me on this episode and for continuing to join us on this journey. 
You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care. And it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation and make sure to engage with PsychArmor on social media to let us know what you think about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we would like for you to do that, but make sure you let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode, and until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.